Well, hello everyone, and a special greeting to all of our fellow pool players out there. It's December 12th, 2013, and welcome to our first show. We're going to call it the State of the Union Address because we'll be talking about uh, the pool industry at large and the state of things right about now. My name is Mr. Bond, I'll be your host, so stick around, grab a cold one, rack up a game, and we'll be right back after this. Oh, and by the way, I'm not supposed to tell you, but we've specially encoded the audio on this show with subliminal pool lessons. So all you have to do is listen to the show, and your game will improve. But don't tell anybody. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We do appreciate it. For the first couple of weeks, we're going to be talking, as I mentioned, about the State of the Union. Um, Things are a little down. I I don't think anybody can uh, disagree with that, uh, that uh, professional pool is uh, lacking. Uh, The pool industry at large has seen less than desirable profits, Surveys indicate that participation may even be down. Uh, I think that's probably debatable, but whatever the case, um, if you're in the business or if you love the game, you've probably seen the effects. Um, Now, here's the good news. This is nothing new. The pool and, and just about every other game and fad and even sports... They all go through cycles of popularity, and the same thing goes with the economic upturns and downturns. They come and go. And so I firmly believe that there's plenty of pool players out there uh, to keep the game alive and to keep interest strong for many years to come. I just also think that uh, with the situation the way that it is right now, that uh, it's going to require a little extra effort and a little more tolerance, a little more patience, uh, just because what else are you to do? You know, I don't think anybody's going to give up their favorite game uh, because there's less tournaments in the world. So on the one hand, yeah, we are um, definitely feeling the effects, but on the other hand, that doesn't mean that uh, pool has to go away by any stretch. And we're not going to let it go away. There's too many people that love uh, to play, and there's too many games for uh, pool to just disappear. I think that's absurd. Pool isn't going anywhere. That's, it'll be around forever. <laughs> Speaking of forever, there's a company that uh, you guys, most of you have probably all heard of. If you've seen Master Chalk, Triangle Chalk or used perhaps elk tips or any of the other products they produce, then you know who Tweetin Fiber Company is. Tweetin has been around for very literally a hundred years. So they've seen world wars go by. They've seen economic upturns and downturns and sideways turns. They've seen fads come and go. 
and they're still here and they're still doing fine. So we've decided to talk to them a little bit about the State of the Union, see how things are going over there, and uh, get their take on the scene. I'd like you to welcome to the show Skip Nemesek. He's president of uh, Tweet and Fiber Company. How are uh, things going over there for you guys at Tweeden? Um, actually, for us, it's been going fairly well. Um, y- you know, we've always been pretty global as it is. Um, <clears throat> and certainly in the last few years, that's been much more important for our business uh, than it has in the past. Sure. But, you know, I, I, I do see some light at the end of the tunnel every once in a while. Certain areas like Europe has been struggling for many years because of uh, the Eurozone crisis and their economy crises and such that the United States has also suffered. But I do see some glimmers of hope there. Certainly Asia has, has become the big powerhouse in terms of billiards in the last couple of years, three, four years at least. But from our standpoint, uh, we're, we're doing fairly well. Good, good, good. It seems like Asia is, uh, um, that and the Philippines seem to be pretty hot right about now as far as uh, pool playing is concerned. Uh, you know, that's that interesting happen? because certainly Asia, there's no question, China for sure. Um, but interestingly enough, and, and, and I dispute this as well, just from, from our own sales or our own distribution in Philippines, we've always done very well in the Philippines. We've got some very dedicated and loyal distributors there that have been with us for a long time. Uh, and we haven't seen any degrade at all in, in the Philippines whatsoever. However, <laughs> I was talking to someone last week that actually lives in the Philippines, and he claimed that pool is virtually dead there. Uh, there was some huh. political upheaval between the governing or ruling parties, uh, and there just aren't the events that there used to be. Hmm. But from a business standpoint, we certainly haven't seen that at all. Hmm. Well, you know, I feel like it's probably similar to the the situation in the United States where uh, you have a lot of people still playing it at, at home and, uh, and, and other places, while at the same time the, uh, the, prof- the professional, uh, uh, what you call it, leagues right, and t- right. tournament scene uh, has not been strong for several years. And, uh, and and that's what I think it is. I think it's exactly what you just said, um, you know, not unlike the United States where things are in a bit of disorganization in terms of uh, events and, and tours and, and such with the professional ranks, you still have several million tens of million actually regular participate uh, participators and playing pool on a regular basis right. and i think it's the same thing in the philippines they they may not have the professional tour stops and the events that they used to have but certainly everyone's still playing the game because you know you've had so many great uh world known players coming out of the philippines and it, yeah. I, I think it had a big impact on their on their society. This is true. This is very true. Speaking of uh, the world stage, uh, how do you feel? Uh, I understand that you were at the Moscone Cup. How does, uh, uh, well, what do you think about uh, what you witnessed uh, during, <laughs> <laughs> during, during that event? 
Well, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Moscone um, or the Moscone Cup. I think this year was a little rough. <laughs> well, certainly rough. But I was going to say I think this was my seventh year in a row now. Um, either six or seven. I've seen it on both sides of the pond. And from a positive aspect, I thought this year's attendance in terms of the American fan base was was far superior to any other year. It was certainly the biggest. In fact, I know that Matchroom actually had to add on some seats at the last minute uh, because they had such a demand for tickets. So there were a lot of positives to it, certainly the fact that it got on to Fox Sports, uh, albeit not live, but it was only a day later. So, you know, Monday's match was shown on Tuesday and, and, and yeah. et cetera. Yeah. I, I think there were all really great aspects, and, and, and Matchroom did a great job of, of marketing and promoting the event throughout the year. It was their 20th anniversary. But in terms of what actually took place, um, it, it was certainly a letdown for everybody. Uh, I don't think anybody going in thought that the Americans were going to be such underdogs as they were this year. And, you know, unfortunately, the score dictated otherwise. It was just uh, very lopsided, and, and certainly the Europeans came in very well prepared and uh, hungry and aggressive. And, you know, you can say that uh, the Americans this, the Americans that. These were the best players that America has to offer, I think. And they certainly are the caliber player that can compete sure. uh, with anybody. Right. Um, but, you know, races to six, I mean, they're, they're not that long of matches. Uh, and, you know, you get a couple of good rolls one way or the other, and it, and, and it really has an impact. Yeah. But um, I, I still thought it was a great event, albeit, you know, a, a day shorter than normal. Um, but hopefully this is incentive for American pool players to uh, really step up to the plate for next year. Yeah, yeah. I hope so, too. And I think it, it probably will be. I don't think anybody can make the it was a close race argument. Right, right. <laughs> I think, right. you know, there's no uh, no doubt about the fact that they got outplayed. So, uh, you know, I, we'll see how it goes next year. I've been to the, the matches in the years when it's in England, and, um, boy, that's, that's a tough house to play in because you're not going to have nearly as many American fans in the stands. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and it's a, it's a very um, sort of football, soccer atmosphere uh, where there's a lot of singing and chanting and nothing nothing negative uh i think it's all in good fun but it certainly it, it really boosts up the european side of things so they've got a tough road next year you know they've got to come back from you know a bit of a disappointment this year and go play in a in a in a foreign arena uh where you're not going to have the fan base that you had in las vegas so it, it'll be interesting next year hopefully much more competitive yeah, you know, and you're right that the home court advantage is going to make a big difference. Uh, and at least on that side of the pond, it does. Yeah, it surely does. Yeah. I, you know, the the years that I've been uh, in England for Moscone at your call, 
and I've always told all my friends or anyone, if you ever get a chance, you've got to see it at your call because it's just an electric experience. Um, it, it's different because it's at nighttime. Uh, you know, when they're in America, they're broadcasting live back to England, so they have to play during the day. Uh, in England, it's at nighttime, and just the whole atmosphere is, is, is totally different. Uh, it, it's great. I mean, it's, it's really electric. It's, it's um, certainly one of the best events out there for pool. Yeah, we could certainly use a couple of those uh, in the United States. And that would be wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, and the thing is, I think that if, um, you know, if they existed tomorrow, I think we'd fill them up. You know, I think if that uh, type of event was uh, out there, uh, I have no doubt that uh, we would be able to put the players in it and uh, and put the production on. I mean, it's, we've I got... I agree. Uh, you know, I think the hardest thing to explain to people that have never experienced the Moscone Cup was exactly what I just said. Unless you were in England or in York Hall to see it the way it is right. over there it's really hard to describe. And I think that that's one of the great positives from this year was the fact that you had such a huge crowd of American fan base, uh, and yet it was on Fox Sports. So, you know, at least the, the television public could get to see what that atmosphere is like. They, they never really got to see the, the English side version of this. Right. Um, but I think this year uh, was certainly as close to the way it is over in England, um, and that's great. I, I, I hopefully the the viewer numbers for for it on Fox were were good because I think a lot of Americans have no idea how exciting this tournament is. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, you know what? We're going to take a short break, real quick, and uh, when we come back. Um, we'll talk about uh, what you think about the future. Stick around, and we'll be right back. And we're talking about the State of the Union. We're talking about... uh, the conundrum that the pool industry has found itself in. So, Skip, what do you think, all things considered, um, what do you think is going to turn it around? I mean, are we going to have to wait for somebody to make a movie, or or do you think that there's something in, within the power of the people that can be done? Well, um, <laughs> there's certainly something within the power of the people uh you know, I've I've been hearing actually since the Color of Money came out that the pool world needs another movie. And you know, fast forward 20 years and we still don't have one. And I hate to think that our sport or our industry or our game is so reliant on just a movie. Um, you know, it's like anything. It's like taking a five-hour energy drink. You, you you ride the high for a while, but then at some point it crashes again. Yeah. <clears throat> I would like to see, in my personal opinion, um, the industry really work from within to to generate the next generation of pool players. I, I would love to see 
a stronger youth involvement and, and, and having more opportunities for juniors to get into the game, get educated with the game. You know, it's, it's, it's certainly very mathematical in terms of geometry. It's, it's not uh, checkers or tiddlywinks. So there is some, some redeeming qualities to the game. Sure. Uh, but that's where I think that our future should be, is we should be developing the next generation of pool players. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see it in high schools. Uh, high schools have football teams and basketball teams, obviously, but they also have bowling teams. And uh, high schools don't have bowling alleys in them, so, you know, they could have a pool team and, and go to the local room owner and, and conduct their, their matches, their games, whatever. Uh, I'd love to see that turn into state championships and ultimately state champions could, could play for a national championship. And, you know, we, we do have a, a youth national championship currently, uh, but I'd love to see more involvement in that. And really, you know, from a business perspective, you're, you're building your, your next buying generation. Right. Absolutely. Uh, anybody getting into the game certainly needs a new queue and a, and a case and, Hopefully they convince their parents to buy a table, and you know and that could be for the next twenty years they could be consumers in our industry. So I'd, I'd really love to see that sort of go in that direction. Right, right, absolutely. The uh, the youth programs um, would I think make a huge difference. Now that's uh, you know dealing with schools is a, is a slippery slope <laughs> when, it, right. when it comes to pool. And so, but by all means, I don't think that, that uh, anybody should be discouraged just because of that. I just think that it needs to be presented in the right way and uh, or in the right context. Right. And uh, something that you and I had talked about before was making the, the, um, the uh, awards and the accomplishments, making the prizes uh, worth the effort, uh, make them and making them mean something, something exactly. where, you know that you can be proud of uh, winning or be proud of accomplishing, instead of just saying, "Hey, I you know hustled twenty bucks at the exactly. at the pool hall today." Exactly. I'm not saying that it's completely um, gone in in the sport of pool, but it would certainly be nice to educate the next generation to the integrity of the game and the history of the game. Uh, and all the greats that were involved in it and and really get back to having that sort of high status um, I don't want to say affluent because it's not it should it doesn't have to be affluent right um, but I just think that there should be a greater appreciation for the game yeah no I agree with you I couldn't agree more uh, if it's done respectably then it will get respect you know exactly it's not something that you can uh, uh, presume to get it's not something that you can expect unless it's there you know so when they put some integrity and some respect back in the game then I think that uh, they'll get it yep all right skip well uh, I think we've hogged up enough of your time for the today so uh, I'll let you get back to work uh, if there is such a thing and um, <laughs> <laughs> at this time of the year there certainly is uh, yeah this is true it is the busy season that's for, that's a fact alright everybody out there get warm and uh, 
get into the pool hall and uh, help your local hall owners out and uh, bring a friend. Thanks for uh, taking your time, Skip, and uh, good luck to the best of luck to you uh, in your business, and Merry Christmas to your family uh, from ours. Thank you so much, David. Yep, you guys take care, and we'll see you next week. Hello, everybody. Welcome to AZ Billiard's contribution to American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton. I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Jerry Forsyth. Jerry, how you doing? I'm doing just fine today. I hope you are as well, and everyone listening. Well, I do want to apologize ahead of time to everybody. I've, I've been a little under the weather since getting back from Moscone Cup. It feels like I went to Derby or something. It just it hit me the day after Moscone Cup, and I've been down ever since. But you seem to be feeling fine. Yeah, I'm good, man. I think anytime you can bring that many people in close proximity, they're going to be sharing bugs. Just to give everyone a, a little heads up, uh, basically our segment today is going to talk about Moscone Cup. We're going to take a break and hear from our sponsor, and then we're going to talk about the letter that uh, Body Nazhat had posted on AZ Billiards. It seems to be quite the the buzz in the billiards industry right now. But but first, I do want to talk about Moscone Cup, or I hope I'm not stealing a, uh, a headline from any of the magazines, but we jokingly referred to it in the media room as the Massacre at the Mirage. Um, it was pretty ugly, Jerry. Yeah, it was. It was the ugliest Moscone Cup in history. And I was really amazed at uh, Barry Hearn, the owner of Matchroom's reaction to it. You know, I thought he would be upset, but his reaction to, well, that's live sport. It's going to happen. It happened to the European team back in 2001 when they were beat uh, 12 to 1. Um, so, you know, it's happened before and it'll probably happen again. A lot of people questioned what happened. You know, there there didn't seem to be one just one reason as to why it happened. Um, I mean, certainly you could you could say that the biggest reason was Team Europe's captain, but there seemed to be a number of things going on. Um, I mean, is that the vibe that you got from, from your side of it? Because keep in mind for our listeners, I was in the media room the whole time. Jerry was commentating every other match, so... Although we were on the trip together and, and both reporting for AZ Billiards, um, we didn't see a whole lot of each other while the matches were going on. I mean, what was the read that you got from the broadcast side of things? I think that what the broadcast crew, the you know, the, the end result is that pool is a very emotional game. I mean, we know it's 90% mental. Everybody says it's 90% mental and 10% physical. And the truism really comes out in something that uh, drives your emotions forward, like the Moscone Cup. And really, after America lost the third match on day one, um, the waves of emotion were negative on the American side and extremely positive on the European side. And when you're playing pool, that's a huge, huge advantage. And... Europe knew how to take advantage of that advantage, and they rode it all the way to the end. America just kept sinking deeper 
um, into depression, uh, and they they lost their confidence. They weren't they couldn't play with confidence. How 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 could you expect them to play with confidence when they were getting trounced? Uh, they got out there, and instead of taking the risk they needed to take that nine ball always rewards, they were trying to be careful not to make that first big mistake that would cost them the rack or the match. So I really think it was over after the third match of the first day. Even considering the fact that Europe has won the event, what, six out of seven years now, it's now four years in a row, and certainly anyone who studies the game has to admit that the European players are are dominating right now. So with that in mind, this question might sound kind of silly, but do you think America took the European team seriously? I think they did. Uh, I mean, you saw that very first match. It was great pool on both sides. Um, and America expected to win that first match. America was in a position to win that first match. But when they lost it, um, I mean, you weren't there. I was not there. But what we heard was that in the practice room after that first match, uh, the Americans were criticizing one another and the mistakes they made rather than trying to say something like, OK, let's put this behind us. We know we're better than this. Let's go out and show these guys who the real pool players are. There was, there was nothing positive going on. It was all negative is what we understand happened. And if that's true, um, well, that's just a, a very damning fact. Well, and if that's the case, you know, that leads perfectly to, to Johan, the captain of Team Europe. Even if Team Europe had come out and lost that first match 6-0, you know that, first of all, Johan would not have criticized any player in the Team Europe practice room, and beyond that, he would not have allowed any member of the team to criticize another member. I mean, that's just a given. Yeah, well, he, would, he always takes control of what goes on in the practice room, and the players respect his authority, and nobody tries to butt in and interrupt. So, yeah, he keeps everything on a positive uh, playing in the, in the European room. But, you know, that, again, we, we keep going back even further. The, the European side is used to being coached. These guys have used coaches in their past, and many of them still have coaches. I know for a fact that Niels Feyen still uses a coach. Um, the Americans don't think that coaches work in pool, and they don't respect uh, their captains. Um, and I don't think they would listen to a coach. So it's people brought up in different neighborhoods of the world. The thought has been put out there that Johan might be, although he has said that this year's Moscone Cup will be his last Moscone Cup, he has said this before. Um, the idea has been put forth, would Johan come back to captain Team USA? Um and then a follow-up to that question is, would Team USA listen? Yeah, well, you just hit the nail on the head. I think Johan would certainly be willing to come over and coach the American side, and I think it would be the worst mistake he could possibly make. Uh, I, I don't think the American players are raised in an atmosphere that allows them to respect uh, and obey 
um, a coach or a captain. They're raised as individuals, totally different mindset. Okay, so is there someone in America that would be I mean, somebody who was respected enough by all of the players who they would actually listen to? Well, there are people they respect enough to listen to, but not people they respect enough to listen to that also have the skills as a top coach. I think the best hope for America is if Matchroom goes with the plan that one of the plans we heard uh, while we were there last week, which is to come back next year with no coaches on either side. That would take away the big Johan advantage. I don't know that that would even the scales, but it might do something to help even the scales. I mean, I don't know what it's going to take for Team USA um, to make this thing competitive. I don't either. And, and that's the really scary part, because we just got trounced by Team Europe. But when these same European players go to China and the Philippines, uh, they sometimes get their asses handed. So you, you, we can't sit back and say, oh, Europe is the best players in the world. We don't know that. It may be China. It may be the Philippines. It may be Europe. But we know that America is beneath those three. So we're, at, we're number four at best. You know, it, it goes through cycles, and, and it was American players for the longest time. But, you know, it's gone through a cycle where it was the Filipino players that came over and and really they were the best players in the game. And, and then it was the, the English players, and now it seems to be the Asian players. I would imagine a team made up of the top five Asian players would probably run rampant over either one of the teams. I mean, I'm sure there are players from Team Europe that would like to argue that fact with me, but that's just my opinion. And I agree with you. Uh, you could put together a superstar team from Asia that would be a really, really, really tough team. So last question on, on Team USA. Uh, another idea that has been brought forward that I don't necessarily agree with is the idea of let's just blow it all up. I mean, do you just completely... I mean, Johnny's been there every year. Rodney seems like he's been there every year. Um, the, the team is always based on... Well, usually it's based on the top four or five players from the BCA point list... Well, next year there's going to be very few events on the BCA point list. Do you just do you blow it up and and maybe invite one or two of the the usual suspects back and build a team with players who were not part of it? And then of course, who do you pick? Yeah, well, you just really reach the soul of the problem that Matchroom faces, and there's not any easy answers to that. I think the one that I heard that would help. 20% of the way is if they changed it from Team Europe versus Team USA to Team Europe versus Team America, then we can include Canada and we can drag Alex Pagulayan down onto our team because he is a Canadian citizen. Um, I mean, some other things you can do is, is that Mika Eminen uh, lives in the United States and has for, what, eight, nine years? Uh, Darren Appleton lives in the United States. So if you change the qualifications to where you have to live in the continent that you're playing for, uh, you could take a considerable amount of strength away from Team Europe. But I don't really expect Matchroom to do that. Let's face it, what, uh, do any of those things. Because they've spent 20 years now developing a brand 
which is Team USA versus Team Europe. To change that brand is a huge risk. Seems like Matchroom is looking at it as this is just another cycle. You know, this is a cycle where Europe is ahead and things will, will change. But knowing what we know about the, uh, the climate of pool in America, that doesn't seem to be the case. I don't see it as a cycle. Um, I see it as a wave and we've been swept over. Um, I mean, you and I have been to hundreds of professional tournaments. And how many times have we ever seen a professional at a, at a, at a tournament working a drill? I mean, we see them throw the balls out on the table and run the balls. And they, they think that's practicing. Uh, I disagree. I do not think that is practicing. Um, I don't think it prepares you for the tough shots. Um, but who knows? The next generation could, could come along and, and, and see what uh, the Europeans are doing and decide to copy their habits and uh, their good, solid work habits. And we could be right back in this thing in a few years. Uh, but that's what, to me, that's what it's going to take is, is people who look to winners and copy their, their activities throughout the day. Because uh, these guys really do work on the game. It's not just showing up and playing and expecting to win. We, we could do that 10 years ago. Americans were so much better than the rest of the world that we could just show up and win. But obviously, the rest of the world has found a way to surpass the American skill level. And we've got to get it back through work. It's not going to, no angel is going to swim down from heaven and just hand these players the top of the game again. Let's take a quick break. I think we've, we've beat that horse enough. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, Jerry, you can tell us uh, who, who is bringing us this segment this week. Sure. This segment's being brought to you by Lucasi Cues. You know, Lucasi Cues have been the choice of many professionals for more than a generation now. And so you really should take a look at these before you make your next cue purchase. Uh, they're available in brick and mortar stores and in every online site you can imagine. Um, Lucasi does a tremendous amount of work to promote the game and to promote the players and the tournaments. And I do hope that you take a look at their products the next time you're in the market for a great queue. I, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, I mean, we're still talking about the, the state of the game. Um, Body Nazhat the promoter and founder of the Ultimate Ten Ball Championship. You are, are very close friends with Body. Um, Body kind of uh, put a shot across the bow of American Pool about a month ago with the letter that he wrote entitled Bridges, uh, Bridges Burned. I, the reason I wanted to talk about this letter is because you are in a unique position to have a very good understanding of body's mindset. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions regarding what he's talking about in his letter. Uh, am I correct? Yes. Yeah. There basically you have to understand body's background. Um, his um, contribution to the business world 
was that the oil fields in the United Arab Emirates were run by what we would call wildcatters in the United States, <clears throat> independent oil drillers. And they all made their own deals to ship their oil and to have it refined and all that. Uh, and it was a cutthroat business uh, because they were always having to compete with one another and cut prices on one another. Uh, the business really wasn't doing themselves that much good or the country. Um, so the head of the United Arab Emirates had known Body for years, uh, personally and in some form of business. And so he brought Body over to um, Abu Dhabi and had a talk with him. And Body agreed to take over and organize the oil business. So he gets all these wildcatters to come to a meeting and he just laid out the facts of life. You know, you guys are cutting each other's throat. You don't have to do that. If we can unify this industry, we can all work together to enrich ourselves and our country. And you know, there was a lot of people in the room going, oh, I'm not gonna work with that guy. You know what he did to me, la da 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 da. And but after really a couple of days of talking, they all decided to unify and, and work together. And some of them even, you know, unified their businesses together, uh, formed partnerships and things. And so really Body thought that he could do that with Poole because he saw the same thing in Poole. He sees a lot of individuals and not much teamwork. So through his ultimate 10 ball championships, he tried to get the people in the industry to become a team. But over the uh, really four year span that the three events took place, uh, the industry kept becoming more fragmented instead of less fragmented. Um, and finally, at the, at the very last one, uh, what, what really opened his eyes and, and, and upset him was when uh, companies would refuse to be on an advertising banner with another company in their industry. They had to have exclusive sponsorship of the event or they wouldn't sponsor it at all. So he wound up just giving away the sponsorship to the event. He took the money out of his pocket that would have come to the sponsors, put that into the prize fund, and he put everybody's name together on one banner. And then he brought them there to Tunica to show them that their names were together on that banner. And lo and behold, nobody had a heart attack and died. So he says, see, you can do this. You can, you can be unified. But, you know, we had meetings in Tunica where plans for unification were made, but then after the event, uh, nothing followed through and Frankly, he just ran out of patience, and that was that was when he wrote the letter. So, based on your, I mean, let's call it a friendship. You know, based on your friendship with Body, um, and going back to last week's episode, uh, a, a friend of ours, Mark Cantrell, in his segment, he put forward the idea that were Barry Hearn to grab the reins of Pool in North America. Uh, maybe Body would come back. In your opinion, as Body's friend, what would it take for him to come back to Pool? I mean, he says in his letter he's keeping his eyes open. 
he needs to see a governing body of professional pool formed that is made up of people who are trying to uh, progress the game rather than their own agenda. Um, he wants the game to have a firm leadership, an organization that all the players belong to and that controls the players and benefits the players, um, where there would be, well, just it would be run like, he wants it to be run like golf. And um, the players, you know, they, they want to be treated like professionals. But then they do things at a tournament like not show up for their match. Well, if a golfer doesn't show up for his tee time, he's eliminated from that event. So that's what body sees we need is that kind of uh, strict structure where players are going to show up for their events. And if not, they're out. Maybe they'll be penalized for the next, they can't play in the next couple of tournaments either. At the same time, he wants this, this governing body to be able to generate at least the little bit of revenue that would be required to send guys to world championships who deserve to go. You know, the top three Americans, they should, they should have their ways paid to these tournaments around the world so that we can be represented and so that they can get experience on the world stage. That's part of what bit us in the butt at the Moscone Cup. Our guys don't have enough experience playing on the big stage. The question that comes to mind is, is anything taking, is anything working towards what he envisions without his leadership? I mean, do you see anyone in American pool that can take things by the reins, you know, take this game by the reins and, and move us in that direction? Or are we just floundering in the middle of the pool with no idea how to, how to swim? No, we are not. There, there actually is a governing body that's being worked on now, um, as we speak, uh, by some, some higher-ups in the Billiard Congress of America. And I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, BCA, they don't do anything. Well, for years, that was not at all true because they ran the BCA Open and they were putting over a quarter of a million dollars a year into that event plus another $150,000 a year into player travel. So they have a history of actually doing stuff. But now I'm guessing, I'm going to say around 2007 or 2008, when the economy dropped out in the, in the billiard business, because, you know, it dropped out of pool before, it dropped, before the housing market dropped by a few months. Um, they were no longer financially able to meet those kind of commitments. So they had to stop the tournament, they had to stop funding player travel and that sort of thing. But they never lost the desire to be a part of pro pool. They just did not have the people and resources to do it. As you know, they contracted us to help them with the pro scene and we still do in that we maintain the, uh, the points for them, the ranking system. Um, and they do want to get back into, uh, they, they know they need to run a national championship. They know they need to fund player travel. They know they need to organize the pros into a force that can make this game more important in America. Uh, the, even the, the retailers know 
that pro pool is the sizzle on the steak. And we need that sizzle out there to get people just interested in the game. So, yeah, there is work being done. It's not being done as fast as many of us, especially uh, body, would like because body has, has a lot of huge assets, but patience is not one of them. <laughs> um, and he admits that. He says, I expect things to happen right now. Um, so I, I have some hope for the future, uh, but that hope will be dashed if the economy turns down again, because I just don't see a way for pool to fall to the depths that it was in and then rise again. I, I, you can be a Phoenix once, but I don't think you can pull it off twice. What can, in the meantime, what can our listeners do? Because let's face it, our listeners are all pool fans. They want to see this game get better. What can be done at a grassroots level? Well, here I'm going to step on some toes because our listeners on this program and our readers at AZ Billiards, they consider themselves pool fans, but they're very much fair weather fans. How many of them go out of their pocket to travel to and attend a pro event? Uh, the percentage is, is tiny. Uh, we go to Turning Stone, right, twice a year. That's in upstate New York. It's an absolutely gorgeous venue. It's the prettiest place you'd ever want to have a pool tournament. There's a casino there for gambling. There's, I don't know how many golf courses for playing golf on, and, and two of them are championship courses uh, that they have pro events on. Um, there's great food, all kinds of different restaurants. And yet, even though the entry to the event is free, how many days do we walk in there and there are 30 or 40 people in this room that will hold 6,000 people watching pool? Because our fans don't turn out to support the game. And that really needs to change for the sponsorship uh, situation to change. Why do sponsors want to put money into a game that can't draw fans? And, I mean, they're, they're better off just advertising in the magazines or with us than putting their money behind a tournament because people aren't energetic about supporting the tournaments. So we, we really do need the grassroots people to say, you know what, I'm going to go to one pool tournament every couple of years just, just to do my part. And, and you know as well as I do, sitting there and watching those players can do more for your game than anything else you can do because you'll see how they think, how they, how they find a pattern and what they do, what kind of changes they make when their plans go awry. There's an awful lot to learn, and there's an awful lot to enjoy about a pro tournament. I mean, we see some amazing shots. We see some very funny situations, and it's a party atmosphere. Everybody pals around together and goes to the bars together and has a good time together. It's not like we're asking people to <laughs> come and be tortured. We want you to come be entertained and watch these heroes of the game because the, the tournament game to be resurrected, it has to draw fans. And people these days would rather sit at home and play their Game Boy than go to a pool tournament. And that, that really does need to change. For this week, I think we've gone well over our allotted amount of time. Um, I apologize again for not being on the, the first show. We should be back each week 
with uh, our individual insights into the game. Uh, for now, Jerry, you got anything else? No, that's about it. I enjoyed doing this first one, and I hope we do make it a weekly thing. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will return you to your regularly scheduled show. Hi, this is Scott Lee, PBIA Master Instructor from Largo, Florida, and welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor segment. Today we're going to give you a tip in how to tell if your aiming is straight or not. If you're having trouble aiming or hitting the ball in a straight line, set up a stripe horizontal on the foot spot of your pool table. Put a piece of chalk uh, covering the middle diamond on the short rail on the other end of the table. So now you have a straight line down the center line of the table. Stroke the stripe ball up and down at a slow speed and see if you can have it come back to your tip or very close to your tip. If not, you need some help in figuring out how to get a straight line coming down on the cue ball. This has been your one-minute pool instructor tip. Again, this is Scott Lee. Tune in next week when my partner, Randy Getlicker, will also be offering another one-minute pool instructor tip. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio, the Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Cantrell. First of all, I'd like to tell everybody that I'm as sick as a dog the last two days. So if I don't sound quite myself, uh, husky or spurting or coughing, I do apologize. I'm going to do my best to keep that under control. And uh, we're, we're back on topic, uh, the topic that we've, we were on last week. And the topic that we're on again this week, the State of the Union. Last week I spoke about some of the issues that were out there with promoters uh, not getting along and and potentially an answer in the form of Metrum Sports. Well, obviously, that is not just the only issues that the pool and billiard world has. Part of the problem, in my opinion, is the money. Where does the money come from? We have to have the sponsorship dollars to make it worthwhile. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the businesses, whether it be the queue manufacturers or the table manufacturers or online retailers or brick and mortar stores. They have to get a return on their investment. How much money can they actually afford to put out and think that their reasonable return of investment is going to be there. And obviously there's a lot to be said for just name recognition and branding. That's an intangible that's always going to be there, but how, you know, that's the point with the intangible. 
it's hard to judge how well you're doing. And it's obviously important. It's obviously an important part of the marketing puzzle. And the reason I say it's important is because Budweiser and Coca-Cola are still doing commercials. Million dollar commercials. If everybody in the world knows who Coca-Cola and Budweiser are. But if they still feel the need to do it, there must be a reason for that. So, putting that to one side, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, I've obviously tried to do a lot of different things in the pool and billiard world. And one of the things I have tried to do is gain sponsorship and, and maybe get the funding to do a year to two year of a real pro tour that paid anywhere between fifty and and $100,000 uh, added money for uh, one event a month or one event every two weeks. So that was constantly work to be done every week, every other week, every once a month, every three weeks. There, there was a job to be done. And not only was there a job to be done, there was a decent paycheck in it for just about everybody. So, in order to do that, the minimum amount of money I believe that I needed was $2 million. That $2 million would give me a little salary. Obviously, there'd be expenses and the other people involved. I could not possibly hope to do it on my own. I would have to get other people, other well-known promoters involved to work uh, alongside me to to make something like that successful now the reason i need this money is because what was the added money the prize funds and uh, all the other expenses that's that's just a given but what we have to look at as well is why people right now in the industry can't afford to give more money in sponsorship. The reason is that return on investment again. How can they secure or have a better chance of getting a return on investment? More exposure is the answer. More exposure. So if pool and billiards with exciting characters and a great razzle-dazzle show was, happened to be on TV every two weeks, once a month, it was a, a regular occurrence, one would reach a lot more people, millions of people. That would enable a better chance for the exposure for the sponsors. It would also create interest in the sport. So more people would start playing. Maybe somebody needs to say, I need a pool. Now I need a pool cue. Well, now I need a case to put that cue in. Now I need some chalk. Well, it'd be nice if I had a table of my own. And obviously, you can see how the whole industry would rise from that. With $2 million, I believe that I could... You have to pay for ESPN. That's the key to it. To get the events televised. Maybe it's only for a couple of years until it takes off, and then maybe they take uh, the opportunities and pay you so that they can produce it. I'm not quite sure, but I know the first two years would have to be really well worked out. And a lot of people get to, to see the, the events. But you can buy ESPN slots. 
I think it's somewhere around $60,000 for a couple of days of production. But with $2 million, that can be done. Once we've got the ESPN, the prize funds, the locations, all these fantastic things worked out, that's when I believe that pool would start generating more exposure, more money, bringing new people into the sport, which again, bumps everything up again. So, here's the story. I needed $2 million. I did a Google search for it on a number of different companies. And if you do a Google search of your own and look at Jack Daniels, do a Google image search or Yahoo image search, you'll find that there are promo photographs and images with Jack Daniels pool tables, Jack Daniels pool balls, Jack Daniels cues, girls on tables drinking Jack Daniels, bottles of Jack Daniels on Jack Daniels tables in a bar that has Jack Daniels laid all the way across it. So they obviously have an interest or a relationship with the pool and billiards world. I don't, I don't know exactly where that relationship comes from. Maybe there's somebody out there, you guys, uh, a lot of uh, knowledgeable people out there who can probably explain it to me a little bit better, why they're so interested in the scene of pool and billiards. So I put a plan together, a business plan together, and I began contacting a, a number of different entities, and I contacted Jack Daniels. Well, it's not actually Jack Daniels. It's, an, it's another company, but that is, owns Jack Daniels, uh, along with a, a number of other things. So I contacted Jack Daniels, and they, I got through the first guy. You've got a series of gatekeepers who are there to stop people wasting their time. Because they have, I'm sure they have, I don't know how many hundreds of people a, a week contacting them for sponsorship for one sport, one event, or the other. So. As I got through the first gatekeeper, he said, I'm moving this up the ladder. I think this is a great idea. I think what you're looking at could be a, a, a wonderful thing for all concerned. I get to the next guy. Wonderful. This looks promising. I'm moving this up the ladder. I continue to move up the ladder, and things are going fine. Things are going good. Until I get to the guy who must be the bean counter of them all, who is right before the guy who can actually write a check. And I'm confident. Everything's gone well so far. I've not said anything wrong. And he hits me right between the eyes with a couple of questions. How many people right now do you think watch professional pool? I said, well, that depends on what arena you're looking at. He said, well, what's the largest event that takes place here in the United States? I said, well, there's the Derby City Classic, there's the U.S. Open. They're both uh, big. And he asked, what those, what's the attendance on those? Well, I have to admit, I, I, I did embellish the truth somewhat. And I said, because of the Derby City, I really do not know what the numbers are, but I know there's a lot of people 
there and so I said probably you're looking at 3,000 people in attendance I think that number's probably a little high he said okay and how many people are watching it on TV I said well it's not televised so okay but they do do live streaming where people get to go on their computers and, and watch he said okay great how many people around the world watch that event Again, I didn't have a true, clear answer. But I said maybe 10,000. And I think that, again, is a high number. So basically, we're looking at 13,000 people per event, he said, that would be watching as we lay right now. And I said, yes. He said, well, 13,000, if you do 10 events... That's 130,000 people who were going to... I said, yes, 130,000, and it could grow. It could get bigger. And he said, do you realize that for 15,000, I can put a sign, a billboard sign up in Sacramento, California on Highway 50 and get 250,000 people a day. A day to see our image, our branding, and our product. That's where it fell apart. What, what can I say? He's right. We don't have it. So now, where we're at is a catch-22 situation. The catch-22 situation that we're in is without the exposure, we can't get the sponsorship. Without the sponsorship, we can't get the exposure. Which came first, the chicken or the egg kind of a deal? How do we address it? I don't want to be negative. I'm trying my best not to be negative with any of these things that I'm talking about. But they are the facts. I'll tell you what, we're going to take uh, a quick break. And I will be back shortly on American Billiard Radio, the Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Cantrell. They have to make their profit, and there's only so much money. They, none of them, I don't care how well they are doing, none of them can really put hundreds of thousands of dollars into this sport, hoping to get their return on that investment. Now, you can say, well, we do it for the love of the game. Well, yeah, and, and I agree with that too. But the love of the game only goes so far. And it maybe doesn't reach into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. You've got to get something from it unless you just have a load of money and you have to use it and you have to use it for a tax write-off or some other purpose. 
without that, I don't blame anybody for not... If they can only put 500 sponsorship into an event, God bless them. Good. Good for you. That's what you could do, and that's what you did. If you can put 20,000, 75,000, great. Good for you. That's what your wallet can sustain. But for the most part, that's not a reality throughout the industry. So, what's our answer? We have to look outside of the industry. Not negating or wanting to leave out the people who have already done so many things and kept this sport on the life support that it is to this point. Because basically, if we face facts, we're on life support right now. It doesn't take a whole lot for the plug to get pulled. And we're done. Now, who's going to come in and take the reins? Who's going to come in with that golden parachute, let's call it, um, that's going to help keep the game alive? And build it. Not just keep it alive. Build it. Make it bigger. Make it better. We have to find a way. Please. My email address is cantrillmark at yahoo.com. If you have any ideas, please send them to me. Maybe I can talk about them in another show. But I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. But it's not easy, I will tell you right now, to get anybody with any amount of money outside the industry to part with any amount of dollars based on exposure. Not saying they're not there. Uh, I guess Larry Shibarak found him. Bonus Bowl. He found over a million dollars with two million dollars. Somehow he found the money. Maybe he's more enthusiastic than I am, or maybe some of the other people. Maybe where he used the money was not exactly where I would have put in it. But he did do it. So the people are out there. It's just a matter of uh, finding out how we can best market our product. And our product being pool and the players. And the game. The excitement. Now everybody can market these kind of things that are relatively unknown to the average sports fan. I'm not talking about people who occasionally watch football. People who watch football. People who watch basketball. They have off-seasons. Maybe there's uh, an opportunity to pull them in somehow. Get them out there, get them playing. But we've got to be exposed. People have to see it. They have to see the razzle-dazzle. They have to see the characters. And right now, we're in a spot where we can't showcase that. We've got the Moscone Cup and the Challenger Champions, which apparently is not going to be on again for the, for the male players, at least. This year, there's another event that's gone. Man, I tell you, I know how negative I sound right now. I'm listening to myself. 
and I don't like it. But all I'm doing, I'm saying what's on my mind. I'm telling you what my opinions are, and I'm telling you what I see within the professional pool and billiard world. And I want to be more positive. I just need something to hold on to. Give me a lifeline. The most positive thing I've heard, again, I hate to bring the guy's name up, but Barry Hunt. He did the interview last week with Allison Fisher. And he said everything that we need to do. Now, having said that, it gave me a, a, a spark in my, uh, in my belly, a fire in my eyes. But once that talk is done, which is fabulous motivational speak, I don't, Mark Griffin, Zuglin, Body, Bremner, Pat Fleming, Justin Collette, and just to name a few, do not have a contract with Sky Sports. You have a contract and agreement with Sky Sports, that does make your life a hell of a lot easier to be able to produce the events that we, we need to produce to get televised and get put out there. Now, how we go about getting those televised events, how we get a contract with Sky Sports or Fox Sports or ESPN, that's a whole realm of a conversation that maybe have to wait for another time because, frankly, I do not know the answer. So, at some point, somebody has to have those connections. If we didn't have all the gatekeepers, let's just say Budweiser, we don't know that the CEO of Budweiser is not a huge pool fan. The guy who can sit down tomorrow in a board meeting and write a check and say, let's fund a pro pool tour for the next five years and call it the Budweiser Tour or... I know we had the Campbell tour, but I think you know where I'm going with it. We just can't get to that guy who's willing to fund it. Maybe he would write a check tomorrow if he thought there was an interest. But we've got to get to him. But we can't get to him because we've got the bean counters and the statisticians and everybody else in the, in the middle between us and the guy who writes the checks. I think that's about all I have on this topic, to be honest with you. I think everybody kind of sees where I'm coming from and sees where the difficulty lays. Do we need luck? Is that what we need? We need a whole bunch of luck to just land some billionaire investor who loves pool and comes forth? I don't know. But we've got to start working as a team. I'll tell you that much. We have to start working as a team. Again, whether that'll happen or not is uh, a figment of uh, my imagination, maybe. But I just, uh, if we can just get a few people together, uh, the, the main guys. Not talking about the little guys like me who sit on the sidelines and, and chirp. I'm talking about the big guys in the industry together. The players, the promoters, everybody bury the hatchet. And let's come with something. 
that we can make a viable product that a sponsor may be interested in. Maybe there is a billionaire investor out there who said, you know, I kind of like pool. And he speaks to one of his people and says, do a little research on the sport, on the pro sport, on the uh, whole uh, pool and billiards world in general. And I tell you what, if he went to some of the AZ Billions forum posts, or he went to a pool tournament and just listened to what people are saying, if he heard what was going on with Bonus Ball, the ABP, Griffin, and um, what's his name, uh, Charlie Williams, They'd probably run like hell away from it. I'm not saying anything against Griffin, Mark Griffin, great guy. Not saying anything against Charlie Williams. Don't really know Charlie Williams very well. But obviously I know his resume. I I just think um, they need to try and somehow players, promoters, try and bury the hatchet and come up with a real structure because without it anybody looking with any amount of money wanting to be a part of professional pool and do some serious sponsorship endorsement they're not just going to come out like i would and say i'd like to do a chili cook-off they're going to work behind the scenes and it may take six months it may take a year for them to investigate and do research on the industry in general. And if they see half the crap that we see, we're screwed. Because they're never going to want to be a part of something that's so unorganized with so much hatred. And I said hatred. I know people will disagree with me on that. But there are elements of hatred in this whole thing. And the confusion... They may just look at it as a hopeless cause and say, let's figure out something else. You know, I kind of like bowling as well. Can we do anything with those guys? So, again, just my opinions. I know this has been a negative rant, and I'm really, I apologize for that. I'm, I'm sick. Maybe I'm in a grumpy mood. I, I don't know. But I think everything I've said is somewhat close to the truth. If, if, based on whose opinion you take from that. Hopefully, I can get on a higher note for next time. I do think I have a, an interview or two lined up. That might be a, an added thing uh, for next week. But we'll have to see. And hopefully we get some more opinions from people who are not as... Uh, I don't want to say tied in as me, but this is what I do. This is how I make my money. And so I'm a little more tied in than somebody who is just an enthusiast and an avid player. And I think I've got an enthusiast and an avid player who keeps his eye on things, who does not have a financial vested interest in things. So hopefully we'll get some insight there. Thank you very much for joining me. Again, I apologize for the negativity. I don't want that. I hope everybody has a fabulous weekend, and I hope to see you next week. From Mark Kentrell, 
the Legends and Champions Report on American Billions Radio. Till next week. Thanks again. like to welcome to the show Ted Lerner and we are here following the Moscone Cup in Las Vegas. Why don't we start out by um, having you break down your role with the WPA and talk about a little more of your background in the sport. Well uh, you might say I'm a billiard journalist not a player I'm a journalist and, and a writer and broadcaster so I that's where I come in into the sport. Um, I'm the press officer for the WPA, which is not a full-time job. Uh, I work in events. They're bigger world championships and other major events that um, they need uh, coverage. Um, how I came into that uh, is I've been living in the Philippines for 20 years, and, um, and that's how I got into pool. Uh, I'm an American from Philadelphia and everything. I never was into pool until I came to the Philippines 20 years ago and I met the great Efren Reyes and I was as, working as a journalist and I started doing features on Efren. So that was my entree into the world of pool and I think you know that's a pretty good entree when you meet uh, Efren Reyes and you get to see his world and inside and out and this was before he was really known on a wide, wider scale. He was known in the pool world but not as a big pop icon the way he is now. So so I was just totally fascinated uh, with Efren and the whole billiard scene in the Philippines, which is really hardcore. And so just became fascinated with that world. And over the years, I've uh, become more and more involved in pool. And I think one of the things that really got me into pool was when in 1999, uh, when Matchroom Sports started showing the world pool championship that was their first year promoting it and it came on in asia i remember it distinctly in july uh, of that year that was when they first had their first world pool championship and it was on espn star sports for eight hours a night starting at about 11 at night and it would go till the wee hours of the morning and it was just the most incredible sporting event i had ever seen filled with all these just crazy characters and it went on for nine straight days and there was all these filipinos in it and of course efren won the event so i had already known efren written about him and then here comes this event and he wins it and then after he won the event and it was also seen by millions of filipinos the sport of pool just exploded in the philippines it was already big but it got even way bigger so there was a bit of a wave at that point of pool and tournaments and from there I used to get involved in writing about these tournaments and then I got involved in announcing tournaments doing some commentary doing some emceeing and um, we, I was one of the first to do like sort of boxing MC work in pool in the Philippines uh, I also do boxing ring announcing I've done that for 25 years so 
that was really fun. And over the years, um, the sport got bigger and bigger. And then uh, I was in, involved in um, uh, helping bring the uh, World Pool Championship to the Philippines in 2006. <laughs> I worked with Matrim to help find a sponsor to uh, get that job done. And that was, um, that was a lot of fun, a lot of work. And that was really like a dream to see the World Pool Championship finally come to the Philippines, the event that we remember sitting on our couches every night for eight straight and nine straight days for for many years, and then to finally be involved in it coming to the Philippines was just a dream, and it was just a fantastic event. So it just went from there, and that's uh, also how I got to know the people in the WPA, and um, the, the problem with the WPA over the years is um, they never had any media for their events. They would have, a, you know, when, when they would have, let's say, the China Open or the Women's World Nine Ball, and nobody would know about them. There was nobody in covering it in English. So I convinced uh, Ian Anderson, the president of the WPA, I said, you, you need a media guy to cover these events. You know, something to think about. So uh, he called me up and uh, said, you know, I like your idea. And this was just a few years ago. I think it was like three years ago. He said, would you like to come to Shanghai for the China Open? Hey, I love the travel. I love pool. So that's what I did. I went to the China Open and I started writing about uh, the tournaments and doing the daily coverage. So that's uh, sort of how I got into pool. We can trace it all the way back to the Philippines and Efren Reyes. That's awesome. I'm sure there probably isn't much better place to be a pool journalist than in the Philippines. It's the biggest fans, the most uh, most popular by far, I would think, in nearly all the world. Well, yeah, it's it's got a real history, in, in, and it's ingrained in the culture, the sport of pool is. And the sport was just thriving there for many years. Unfortunately, now it's dead, and that's due to infighting in the sport. So it's it's not as popular as it once was in the Philippines. It's still ingrained in the culture, but it's not as commercially popular as it once was. Now, maybe it's just in a down period at the time. But, yeah, that it's, um, it's, I, if I hadn't been in the Philippines, I would have never been involved in pool. That's for sure. I see. And since we're, we're here at the aftermath of the Moscone Cup, um, how many times have you been here to the Moscone Cup, and what would you say has your experience been like taking in this event, which... Well, has I, been very abnormal. Yeah, I came first came to the Moscone Cup. Uh, it was here in Vegas in 2005. And then I next went to the Moscone Cup in 2010 when it re- returned to your call. Now, I also write for Billiards Digest, and I do a lot of writing for Billiards Digest um, at this time. So I've covered the event for them in 2010 at, the, at your call in London. The atmosphere at the Moscone Cup is unlike any other tournament. This is pool as a real sport. This is everybody in the pool world's biggest dream to see pool displayed and produced just like this. This is the way you would do it for any other sport with great standards of television production, 
and just great lighting, uh, sound, top to bottom. It's just as good as it gets. So th this is what, th this is the gold standard for pool. And the atmosphere here is just amazing. You love the, the fans just going wild and chanting. And then you get the fans from Europe coming over. And, and then, you know, it, and it's a bit different in your call when it goes back over to England. The fans are a little more rowdy. And, um, but it's got its own unique atmosphere. So I think it's as good as any sporting event you'll ever see. And I mean that. And I'm, I'm a big fan of other sports. I just have learned, I, you know, I grew up on sports that had more, you know, so-called action, hard-hitting action, football, uh, basketball. Of course, I was a baseball fan. Baseball, you, you could say, is similar to pool in that it's got that nervy tension. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is what I think is, is never translated in pool in other tournaments other than matchroom events. They just don't have, seem to have, quite have that uh, standard of production. So there's nothing like the Moscone Cup. It's the best. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the way they're able to translate the game and put it onto an arena in the exciting fashion that they do is something that I think everyone in the sport should try to aspire to on some level. I think that, like you said, it's the gold standard. And if there were more people doing what, Matchroom is doing, then we would have a much different uh, world for yeah, the for thriving, the sport. A thriving sport. Now, having said that, like I w I've been in Qatar in the last uh, f uh, few years covering the World Nine Ball Championship, and in China, China does a very nice job. Uh, China, you go to the, in China in Shanghai and the Women's World Nine Ball up in Shenyang, and uh, the China Opens in Shanghai. Excellent tournaments. They put they are very well run. Decent production standards. The problem is they're only for Chinese. Mm -hmm. They don't think beyond China. Qatar, they do a very good job. It's a great tournament. They've really come a long way. They've tried to improve uh, their standards and everything. But again, it's only for them. They don't know how to put on a proper television production that translates into a worldwide event so that's what's missing i'm not saying that these other people aren't putting on nice events believe me the world nine ball championship is a lot of tension some of the most fun times i've had in pool were in qatar in the last few years i mean the tournament this year in in qatar where antonio gabica the filipino who lives in qatar made a run for the title and very nearly won it was i think the story of the year in pool because he had the entire everybody in Qatar and all the Filipinos who were living in Qatar just going bonkers they were they were it was like a like a, a rock concert in there they were chanting his name but no television coverage nothing outside of Qatar's fact if I wasn't there writing about it nobody would have known about it so I guess I, 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 I kind of try to make up for that in my writing that, the, you know, there's this lack of coverage to the outside world. And I try to make the writing real exciting and make it like it's the, like the earth shattering event. And I hope that comes across in the stuff I write, you know. Yeah, I think what stands out to me is that you can really do a nice job of bringing a whole picture 
to the readers, I think that's really key because if there is no one else there, if there is no media TV coverage, then this is essentially all that anyone will hear or see. So kudos to you for stepping out and bringing another voice to the world of pool because it's definitely much needed and that is uh, very, very much appreciated. Wacy Pool is about storytelling. I think just about, you could say that about any sport or any event. And when people say that you have had to be a professional player to commentate or to write about pool, I just think that's absolute nonsense. We, we don't, we, there, it, you do need professionals around who have the experience to tell you, you know, what is happening on the playing field, on the table. But the hardcore fans are not where the ones where you want to please. The ones you want to please are the masses. They're the ones who you want. That's what they're the ones who are going to make your sport. You have to appeal to them. And what are they interested in? They're interested in characters. They're interested in stories. They're interested in who are these guys? Who are these women? Why should I root for them? Why why should I invest two hours of my time in, in following this? Why should you? Because at the end of it, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be, you know, you're going to be, you won't even have to cover your eyes. You can't even watch the match. It's so exciting. It's so much nervy tension. So that's the thing I love about pools, the the nervousness, the tension, the drama that comes when the match is tight and everything's on the line. So I think, you know, I try to be a professional and do what I do and I want to tell stories. So I, I, I want to try to get it right. So try to translate that and try to bring people along for the ride. I mean, what's the point of doing your job if you don't want to make it fun and interesting for the people who are reading your uh, stories? I think that's really important for people to take away is that pool is very dramatic. There are really interesting stories to be told, but if they don't get out there, then it's just like there's... I think it does does a disservice to the sport. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and as Barry Hearn said in his uh, speech the other night at the Hall of Fame banquet, you know, pool is a is a great game. It's a great sport, and it needs to be shown in that manner. You know, you got to treat it with respect and treat it as as you know with the drama and the storylines and the characters involved my god the characters in this sport are just classic there's so many fascinating characters in this sport there's some guys who you know treat it as a sport there's some guys who don't treat it as a sport but they're also great players as well you know there's some guys who are hustlers road players some guys who never gamble some guys who do a lot of gambling the fans want to know there's a lot of people who want to be we're interested in this these guys but somebody has to tell them <laughs> What sticks out to me is that whenever I talk to people on the street, just random conversations, people want to talk about pool, what I do. People are fascinated by it. They will have me talking their ear off if they let me because I think that people want to, people want to know. People find it fascinating. And once you, once you can express that there is so much more to pool than the common public conceptions i think that there's oh, really only yeah yeah absolutely back rooms with smoky back rooms and it's just gambling yeah that's and it's exactly un- right. it's unfortunate that we're still at this point in time struggling with moving away from some of that well don't forget 
In, in America, it, it's definitely like that. But there are other places where it's not like that at all, and it's treated like a sport. Mm -hmm. For example, the Middle East. The Middle East is one place where the sport of pool is really growing. Why is that? Because the governments treat it as a sport. I mean, people should be reminded that the sport of pool is under the Olympic umbrella. And there are governments around the world, when you're under the Olympic umbrella, they treat the sport seriously. So they give the players stipends and uh, living expenses. In Holland, this is what they do. Niels Fein and, uh, and you know all the other Dutch players, they get money from the government to, that support them to play, and they get training from coaches, and just like you would do for any other sport. In China, it's the same thing. China has a national team. This is under the Olympic umbrella. They train these players as if they're training for an athletics event. So this is serious business. It's just in the United States, it's not treated like that. Mm -hmm. you know, but in other parts of the world, it is. I think that this Moscone Cup made that very evident that there is a gap between the level of play that we're seeing from the Americans right now and the level from the oh, Europeans yeah. and how they train and all around the Europeans were the total package. Oh, yeah, they sure. didn't have any major flaws and the Americans paid the penalty and this was really a uh, disappointment I think for everyone involved. I spoke to Johan and he f his heart went out to Johnny for the way the event turned out. So I think that there does have to be some some big some big changes perhaps and who knows exactly what that would all what that would all detail but it's definitely in a struggling and a struggling point yeah, for us here going in an opposite direction uh, in Europe the European players are really serious about what they do they treat it as a job they go to all the major events you go into like I said in China in, in the Middle East all the events they're there the Europeans the Americans aren't there Shane travels he wasn't in China this year. He saw him in Qatar, but nobody else goes. I mean, they, they, the Europeans go. They love it. They, they, they eat it up. They love the, the competition, the, and they're battle-tested. So that was one thing. And then you talk about the Moscone. The, the, they got, I mean, Johan just out-coached uh, Johnny on this one. I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, he prepared for this for three months. If you were going to write a textbook on how to coach a team in pool, Johan Roshink would be the one to write it, that's for sure. So, yeah, I don't know. I think they, as far as the Moscone goes, they'll have to, Matchroom is going to have to have a rethink on Team America. I don't know what they're going to do. Personally, I would bring in younger players. I don't know who those are, but I would bring in players that are a little more hungry, that, that are fearless, mm -hmm. and come in and, and are re really ready to... to do something big. Yeah. You know, I just think this Legends thing, although it was meant well, it all sounded good on paper, it didn't work out like they wanted it to. I think you're absolutely right. That was the same line of thought that I had, that we need some of the new, fresh players to at least get in it. They may not do well first year, we saw, you know, Mike DeShane, Brandon Schuff struggle last year. But there will be a new guard. It just has, it has to, they need to come in, I think, with a, 
uh, a serious coach, someone like Johan, someone to train with that team, I think they can be capable. I think they can be capable, sure but can. it's uh, it's got to be done in the right way. It'll be a long road, though. A very long road. Mm-hmm. Europe has made such big strides, and and like I said, you see them at all the tournaments. They they have a circuit. They have an association, and there's really nothing here in the U.S. And it's a it's a real shame. You know, we're talking about the classic American game of pool, and they just got outplayed beyond anyone's imagination so it's uh it's a it's it's not looking good right now that's for sure mm-hmm. well i want to thank you ted for joining us on american billiard radio and this is our launching of the show so we're very excited to be doing something new for the world of pool and hopefully it'll keep running for a very long time. Okay, well, I wish you guys all the best, and uh, this is a great thing that you're doing, promoting pool and uh, telling the stories and talking to the characters in the game because it's a great game and it's an interesting world. Uh, sure, not everybody in the world is going to follow it, but uh, you'll certainly, I think you could find a lot of people when you start telling good stories that uh, they will be interested in it because uh, people people want to be interested in, in fun stuff like this and interesting stuff, and I think... What you guys are doing is uh, is a great thing. So call me anytime if you want to know what's going on at a certain event. And uh, I'm at an event, and even the other side of the world, I'd be more than happy to help you out. All right. And lastly, which event do you have next coming up on your agenda? Well, it's the end of the year, uh, so right now there are no events. Uh, we'll see uh, what's coming up. I think unbelievable what we're in december the next thing i know the china open is in june mm-hmm. that's how sparse the calendar is right so we got the china open in june the world nine ball championships in june other than that i don't know and so, of course there's the derby city classic coming up in january right and thank you allison and ted thank you mike and jerry thank you mark and of course thank you to all of you for listening Join us next week when we will continue our State of the Union discussions. And have a great weekend, everybody.